Good morning. How's everybody doing? My name is Drew Phillips. I'm the associate pastor here at Calvary, which uh, means that about once a month I have an opportunity to come up here and, and share. And so thank you for being here today. Uh, one thing that I'm going to try new today and one thing I want to encourage us with is this. A couple weeks ago, we did a practice up here on stage where we did a soap study. And with that, leading up to it, we encouraged everyone to bring their Bibles. And for me, it was one of those things that I just really enjoyed the visual of everyone carrying their Bible with them when they came to church. Call me old school, but it was something that I really liked. But I realized that as I was encouraging others to actually bring your Bible, when I was up here, I would preach from my iPad. So in order to hopefully join you in that and bringing your Bible, today I've got my big heavy-duty study Bible up here that we're going to place right there, and we're going to use that today. But I do want to encourage us. I think the visual of our families, our kids, the people that we interact with, to see us carrying our Bibles here on Sundays, and knowing that not only are we engaging with it here, but also engaging with it throughout the week, is just a beautiful visual. So let me encourage you in that. As I try to use my paper Bible here more, not my electronic one, I would encourage you to do the same. Letter writing. Letter writing is a lost art in our world today. It is a long form of communication that we are not used to. You might wonder why Ian decided to use stamps as a visual graphic of this next series that we're going to do. And that's because we are going to take a look at the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. And over the next several weeks, we're, each week we're going to take each letter and take a closer look at them. But when I was thinking through that, this idea of letter writing is just, like I said, it's a lost form. It's not something that we do often anymore. Everything is very quick communication. And if I'm honest with you, the time that I've actually had to write things out, I get about two minutes in and my hand starts to cramp because I'm not used to actually writing things out. But when I receive a handwritten note in the mail or on my desk, I appreciate it more because I understand the time and the intentionality that went into that letter. And for a lot of human history, this is how the world communicated with one another, was through the written form of letter writing. And when, if you think about it with me, when you write a letter, and if this is how you're going to update someone on what's going on in your life, what's been happening, the emotions that you've been feeling, when you write out a letter, you have to be more intentional with the words that you use. You have to be more poignant with them, but you can't just be lackadaisical, because again, you want to express the tone and the mood and exactly what's going on. And knowing that, even today, if you're going to send a letter for somebody, it's probably going to be a day or two until they receive it. Back then, and for most of you in history, it might have been a week, if not a month, until they received that letter. And so for, for those people who spent most of their time communicating that way, the words that they used were important. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, we are again, as I said, a bit lackadaisical with our words and how we put things. Maybe our punctuation's off. Maybe we don't even include punctuation anymore in our text message because it just takes too much time. And we've got all these abbreviations and we got gifts. That's right, I use the hard G, gifts that we use, that we send to try to communicate things, right? We are a little bit lazy. And maybe if you've been involved in our men's ministry here um, at Calvary, you received an email from me this week an email inviting you to our men's retreat, October 7th and 8th. If you would have read that email closely, you would have seen that I made a crucial mistake. As I was hurrying through it, I addressed it to myself. 
So it said, Dear Drew, we would like to invite you to our men's retreat October 7th and 8th. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Thank you. Please consider Drew Phillips. Because I did not take the time and the intentionality to go through that email and realize what I had populated there was that it was going to put my name on the email, not the person I was intending to send it to. Again, we have become lackadaisical in our communication, case in point, this week in an email that I sent. So for us to take a look at what it looks like over these next several weeks to look at the letters of Paul, I think it's important for us to remember the length that it went to for someone to write a letter. Even back in biblical times, not everyone could write a letter. One, paper was expensive. Two, most people couldn't read and write. And so if somebody was going to do this, this was an expensive endeavor, but it was one that was intention, intentional. And what Paul is doing in these letters is he's writing to churches that he has planted or mentees, people that he has discipled, in order to give them examples to do some correction, but show them how do we follow Jesus. And for us, this over these next couple weeks, we're going to take a closer look at that. Now, for your guys' benefit, we're not going to go ahead and cover the entire book in one week. That would take all day, and we're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is we're going to pick out one major theme in the book, and we're going to focus on that. So for this week, we're going to be in Ephesians. We're going to take a look at the letter to the Ephesians, and we will be in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If not, they will be on the screen for you. But Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, reads like this. Therefore, I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Now grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Before we dive into the text and break that down a little bit, let's set some context of exactly what's going on here. So again, this is the letter to the Ephesians, which was a church that Paul had planted in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus at this time, Ephesus was a port city, and it was growing in influence and popularity. There was a lot of commerce coming in because of the trade that was going on, and because of that, there was a lot of diversity in the city that was starting to grow. And so Paul goes there in order to start this new church. But as the city is starting to grow and grow in diversity and growing with money and commerce, all of the other problems that come along with money and commerce and wealth and influence, these are starting to pop up in, in Ephesus. So Paul spends three years with this church. And while he's there for these three years, he is raising up and developing leaders that he can entrust the church with so that he can leave and go to another church. So as he is developing these leaders, raising them up, finally he gets to the point where he feels comfortable to leave the church in the hands of these leaders, and he leaves and goes to Jerusalem because he had this goal of I wanted to make it to Jerusalem. So he gets to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, he gets arrested. And once he's arrested, he is there for a little bit, and they eventually send him to Rome where he serves on house arrest for the rest of his days. And scholars believe that that, while he's in house arrest in Rome, is when he writes this letter to the Ephesian church. 
because he's hearing about the things that are going on in the church, and he is writing them a letter, hoping to correct them in some areas, encourage them in a lot of areas, but make sure that they are continuing the path that he had started when he was there. Now, this letter is a circular letter, and I've got it up here on the screen for us. A circular letter is a letter that was meant to be passed around to other people. And so, again, a lot of the letters that Paul writes, he writes specifically to one church. And in those, er in those times, you will see in those letters, which we will cover, he specifically addresses certain people. He says hello to people, says greet them, welcome them. In this letter, we don't get a whole lot of that. In the letter to the Ephesians, there's not a, a lot of direct um, interaction with people of, the, of that church, and that's because it was meant for that church, but it was also meant to be passed around to the other area churches because there was contents of this letter that were meant for the body at whole that when they would read this, this would help them grow in their faith. And so they call this letter a circular letter. So it's beneficial for us today. It's not just writ written to the Ephesians, but it's also written to those to give us a better picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So that's the background. That's kind of setting everything up for us. And the theme that I want us to focus on today is this. It's this idea of unity. The theme of unity. This is one of the major themes that we get in this book. And it, he actually starts in chapter 2 with talking about it. So if you flip over to Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, it reads like this. But now, in Christ Jesus, you were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. One of the major issues that was going on in the Ephesian church is there was division. There was disunity, particularly between two groups. You had the Jewish and the Gentile. Now, the Jewish, these were God's people. These were God's people. This is Moses, Abraham, Isaac. These are God's people who've been with him through the wilderness. And since Jesus has come, they've given their life to him and now are starting to follow him. But they have always been God's people. So there's a little bit of an air of arrogance with them that we are the chosen ones. We are God's people. Well, Paul's main mission that God had called him to was to bring the good news of the gospel, the good news of the hope in Jesus Christ to the Gentiles which were the non-Jewish people. Everyone who was not Jewish was Gentile. And before this, they did not have the good news of Jesus. And so Paul's main mission was to bring this good news. And as he's doing this, the Gentiles are starting to accept Christ. They're starting to come into relationship, experience this hope. They join the church, and all of a sudden there is problems. And most of the time what was happening is the inside group, the Jews, were treating the Gentiles as outsiders as second-class citizens. They wanted him to follow all of the old Jewish customs. Well, those weren't as important, and so there was this natural divide and conflict. And so what Paul is doing here is he is saying, the blood of Jesus has tore down that dividing wall and has united us. It has united us. And this is something, when it comes to Division, disunity, this is something that we see in the church today as well. In the big C church and also in our local congregations. Unfortunately, this is not something that is just happens here and we solved it 1,500, 2,000 years later. No, we are still 
having the same issues today. And where Paul starts is with Christ. Paul starts with Christ. We see in these verses, again, that he tore down the walls of division with his blood, but that he also, if you continue reading in chapter 2, it says that he is the cornerstone of our faith. That he is the most important piece. If you're going to build a structure, the most important piece you have to pay attention to is the cornerstone, and you build off of that, and Christ is that cornerstone for us. As I said, we've seen disunity and division in the church probably more in the last several years than we have in a while. Things today that we tend to argue about are how we should order our services. Should we do songs in the front? Should we do message in the front? What type of song should we sing? We find division over such things. Maybe it's what we should wear. Maybe we should come in our best. We should present our best to God and dress nicely when we come. Others is come as you are. Come comfortable. We're glad you're here. God doesn't care what you look like. This has caused an area of division. Maybe for us it's even a little bit deeper. We've got some theological differences, and we need to make sure that all of our theology lines up and that to the point everything is worked out, and if it's not, we're going to argue and we're going to fight about it. Maybe it's with politics. Do we mix religion and politics, or do we keep them separate? We've got different views on how we handle that, and we're going to take our stand and do that. Even simple things like, you know what? I think that wall should have been painted white over there, and if we would have painted that white, I would feel good, but gray is the wrong color. We shouldn't do that. We will find any and every way to argue and bring, and bring disunity because we have a view and people need to hear our views and what we think. And unfortunately, in the time where this letter was written to the Ephesians, till now, we still have this disunity. And disunity is one of the main tools the enemy uses to distract us. It's one of the main tools the enemy uses. If the enemy can keep us fighting with one another, it keeps us off mission. It distracts and divides us to a place where we cannot be effective in our calling. If we are busy arguing and fighting with ourselves, whether that's local congregation or big C church, the mission that Christ left us with to make disciples, to make most of him, to help people find the hope that they have in the love of Jesus and through his sacrifice on the cross. The more that we argue and fight about little things, the less time we can spend on mission. And I believe this is the enemy's key tactic to keep us off mission and focused inward and not outward. Paul gives us a couple solutions when it comes to this problem, and first and foremost is where he started, and that's with Jesus. He says that we have a common bond, which is Christ, and that is what should unite us. And how does Christ unite us? Every person that is sitting in this room right now, some of us that are standing, all of us need Jesus. All of us need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross there is nothing that we could do to make our relationship right with the Father. So every single one of us needed Christ to come and to pay a price that we could not pay and conquer death. And that is our starting point for unity. If we can get back to what is what unites us instead of what divides us, it gives us a better starting place. And if we would all recognize that we need Jesus, that he is not only the person who came and broke down the wall of division and, and united us through his, through his blood, but also 
is the cornerstone and the foundation of our faith. If we can start there, then we have a chance of showing the world a different posture. Showing the world that when we follow Jesus, following Jesus makes a difference in how we interact with each other, how we love one another. But it starts with understanding that we all need Christ. We all need Christ whether we believe in Calvinism or free will. We all are in need of Christ if we're English, Australian, American, Asian. If we vote one way or another, we are all in need of Christ's love and his blood shed on the cross. And so let's start there. That's what Paul encourages us to do, and you read through the pages of Scripture. That is where we are encouraged to start. But Paul doesn't stop there. Another place when it comes to unity is our posture towards one another. If you read in the first verse there in chapter 4, he calls himself a prisoner in the Lord. Paul describes himself as a prisoner in the Lord. Now, if I, before service, would go around and poll you guys and say, how would you describe yourself? We might get things like, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I'm just curious, and I'm here checking things out. Or maybe I was dragged here by a loved one. Some of you might look at me and say, why are you asking me this question? But more often, more likely than not, there would be no one who would identify themselves as a prisoner in the Lord. Now, before you send me emails, I do know that Paul is writing this letter from prison. So he could be describing his current situation, that he is a prisoner in the Lord because he is sitting in prison because of his faith in Jesus. But I also believe that there is a posture of his heart in this as we continue to read on. Because what Paul has done by being a prisoner in the Lord is he has given up his rights, his privileges for the sake of Jesus. And that is something for us, and I say us because I include me intentionally, that is difficult for us to do, to give up our rights, to give up our posture, to give up what we think is best in order to make most of Christ. Our posture towards others matters. It's a humble posture towards others. As we continue to read in verse 2 of chapter 4, it says, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are called to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace by being humble, gentle, patient, and loving. And hear me say, this is not an easy task. This is not an easy task to be someone who is humble, loving, gentle, and patient. And if I'm being transparent with you, as I read these words, there's a little bit of me that um, I don't like them. They seem a little bit more, and forgive me on this, a little bit more effeminate, right? I want, I'm a man, I want to be strong, and I want to be confident, and I want to be bold, and I want to be courageous, and I want to stand firm for the beliefs that I have. And there is a place for that. But if I'm being transparent with you, that for me is an easy, that's the easy road. That's the downstream practice. It doesn't take a lot for me to have to stand up for what I believe and to stand firm and to be vocal about my thoughts and beliefs on whatever particular matter it may be. Be that baseball or anything else. I will tell you what I think. 
what takes more strength, what is more of a upstream practice, is how can I come to a place and get past how easy it is for me to stand for what I believe and to take a genuine curiosity in how someone else believes. Take a gen to, to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient. For me, those are things that takes a deeper strength that I can't just do on my own. There's a process of transformation in order for that to happen in my life. And I imagine it's the same for yours. There is a quiet, confident, controlled strength where we can be the type of person who operates out of the place where we are going to truly value and listen to the thoughts and opinions of others over our own where we're going to sacrifice a little bit our thoughts and our opinions for the sake of listening to somebody else. It doesn't mean that it has to change. It doesn't mean that, it, that what we have to do is we have to be weak. But no, we can be strong because we can genuinely listen and sit across the table for someone who thinks differently than us, realizing that we have a unifying person in Jesus that allows us to move forward in that. As I was writing this this week, I was thinking back, there is a uh, pastor at a church I was at in Indianapolis. His name is Nate Smith. He was the executive pastor at Common Ground Christian Church when I was there. And Nate had this unique gifting that no matter what situation, he would find a third way. So Nate's role as the executive pastor of the church was we had a lead pastor who was very charismatic, a big idea guy, had all kinds of things that he wanted to get done, amazing things he wanted to do for the kingdom, and he had all of these ideas. And it was Nate's job on the other side to make the money work. What a fun job. And so because of that, a lot of times the two didn't match. The vision that the lead pastor had, what he wanted to do was this way, and what the money was saying was over here. And it was Nate's job to try to make it work. And I can always remember him say, can we find a third way? Can we find a third way where we can match the vision with the mission? And what that was going to take, and for Nate to be able to do that, it came to a submission with the Spirit, a submission to the Spirit. That again, we have a Spirit who unifies us, and if we want to genuinely find a third way where our way isn't always the right way, but we want to understand how other people do it, we want to meet in the middle, it first starts with a submission to Christ and His Spirit. And when we do that, then it is possible for us to find that third way. It's possible for us to submit to Christ and keep him as the cornerstone. And it's possible for us to be loving towards one another. It's this third way, a way of the Spirit. Now Paul goes on to give us one last example. In verse 4, he says this, Therefore there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope in your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. There's a lot of ones there. One spirit, one Lord, one Father. This picture and this idea of the Trinity and how if we're going to look for what it means to be people who are united, have unity with each other, then we need to look to the group, the person of the Trinity, 
in that. That the Father knows his role and his participation. The Son, his, and the Spirit, his. And they're not jockeying for position. They truly are submitted to one another, and honestly, they make most of each other when we see them in Scripture. So if you go to Jesus' baptism with me, so Jesus is there in the water, He's baptized, the Spirit descends, the heavens open, and the Father says, this is my Son in who I'm well pleased. He makes most of his Son in that moment. When we think about Jesus, when he's with his disciples, as he's coming towards the end of his life here on earth, what he says is, it is better that I leave so that the Spirit can come. It is going to be better for you that the Spirit comes and I leave. Again, making most of the other. There's not a competition. And we can look and we can emulate the example of the Trinity as we move forward in trying to be a unified followers of Jesus. I'd like to finish today with verse 7. Verse 7 says this, Now grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, as I said earlier, this was a humbling message for me to work through this week. This was a humbling message for me, but then I get to verse 7. And if you're looking at your Bible, or even here on the screen, you'll notice there's a paragraph break. Well, originally, in the writings of the, the New Testament and of Scripture, there were no paragraph breaks in the Greek. It all would have flowed together, and we in the English have tried to break it up in the best way we can to help our understanding with it. But I think as we're looking at this, this is a difficult way to live. God, Paul is calling the Ephesians into us today into a difficult way, and he wants to understand as we move in this process, we are going to need God's grace. For me, I have fallen short and missed the, missed the mark on this so many times. So many times I have been arrogant and not humble. I've been harsh instead of gentle. I've been demanding and not patient. I've been hurtful and not loving. Too many times to count. But then verse 7, grace. Grace for our shortcomings, grace for our failures. Paul says in another letter, though, just because of grace, do we just keep on sinning? No. It doesn't give us a license to sin. But because of God's grace, we understand that when we do sin, there is hope on the other side. And so for us to operate in a way where we are showing one another grace when we fall short. When we start to do that, we start to become the type of people who are gentle, humble, patient, and loving. So that brings us today to our daily training. And so for us this week, no matter where you find yourself, this is my challenge or our training practice, whether this is in your home with your spouse or your roommate. For you freshmen, maybe you have a new roommate and this would be a good practice for you to put in place this week. Maybe it's in your workplace. But what would it look like for us to ask first, to start from a posture of curiosity? Start from a posture of wonder. Then, once we have truly asked the question, then we listen. And not this half-hearted listening where we're already thinking about how we're going to respond to the words that are coming out of their mouth. 
Can I get an amen on that one? But where we are genuinely listening to one another, trying to understand the position or the thought processes that they have. And then finally, third, we speak. Third, we speak. But it, we do not speak until we've asked, until we've truly listened. And then out of that place, do we begin to speak, hopefully humbly, graciously, gently, patiently. And this is the opportunity for us to show the world that when, we, when you choose to follow Jesus, the way that we engage with each other and the world around us is different. That we are united in Christ, and because of that, we can genuinely put our differences aside in order to listen to each other value each other and pray for each other so that's my challenge for this week ask first listen second speak third and on a day that we're talking about unity there is no greater thing to do than to take communion with each other so our deacons are going to come now and they're going to get ready to pass out communion but the thing that communion offers us is this. We all have a lot of differences. We all have ways of thinking and ways of li living that are different than each other. But one of the things that unites us is Christ, remembering Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross unites us in a way. So as we come around the table today, we think about, go with me for a second, when Christ is in the upper room, we'll talk about this in more detail here in a second, but he is with people that is hostile in that room. He has, have, he has men and women who are going to betray him that are with him, that are going to leave him. And what's he do? He passes the elements. He washes their feet. And so today, as we come around the table, let's not remember and focus on the things that divide us, but let's focus on the things that unite us and bring us together. So as the deacons go ahead and pass it out, go ahead, take the cup. Everything is gluten-free, so if you're gluten intolerant, don't worry about it, it's all gluten-free. Take the cup, in it you'll find a cracker and underneath it the juice, hold on to that. We're gonna worship here for just a few moments and then I'll come back out and we'll take communion together. So right now, let's prepare our hearts be united around the table.